Okay. So today we're doing tell. So find, tell, bring. So we're on our second um, episode of this of this series, and telling of God's love. I call this the forgotten apostle. The forgotten apostle. Anybody know who Andrew is? There's a couple. No, he's not your neighbor down the street named Drew. That's not who that is. But there is actually an apostle named Andrew, but he gets doesn't get a lot of respect. Ain't going to no respect, right? Hey! So last week we talked about finding. And uh, we're going to look at how the apostle Andrew found, he told, and he brought. And we're going to see, we're going to look at that passage today. But on that note, um, anybody heard of Albert McMacken? Is that name Albert McMacken? Makes me want a uh, Big Mac. Yeah, makes me want a Big Mac. Ben's commentary is always priceless. <laughs> so Albert McMacken was a farmer in the 1930s. He had just come to know Christ, and he wanted to invite all of his friends to to this, this church gathering, right? And so he rounded up his close friends, and he says, hey, guys, there's this preacher speaking in, in Charlottesville, North Carolina, and I want you guys to come with me. And all of his friends were kind of like, eh, whatever. You know, during that time, there was a lot of racial upheaval and everything like that. The last thing they really wanted to do was go to a church and, and you know, probably get told how, um, you know, racially convicting and, and everything like that was during the time. But he's able to, he was so excited that he was able to gather a group of friends. And there was one friend in particular that he was able to get to drive the, the dairy truck to this particular gathering. And this friend of Albert's, he begrudgingly goes, and he, he goes inside of, of the church and kind of curious on, on what's going on inside of this building. And he's just fascinated by what the pastor is saying around um, you know, repentance and this grace-giving God and and how he can know more. And he comes back the next night and the next night and the next night. And anybody know who this this friend might be? This Albert McMacken friend? Billy Graham. Yes, that was Billy Graham. Now, Albert McMacken doesn't get a lot of props for this, right? No one knows who Albert McMacken is, but he is actually the guy who invited Billy Graham to church. The first one to do that. Now, Billy Graham would go on to speak to over 200 million people. He would, if you, even today, half of the population of the earth knows who Billy Graham is because of technology, television, YouTube. And you think about it, where this all started was with somebody inviting Billy Graham to church. I mean, I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. I mean, think about that. If, if Albert wouldn't have invited Billy Graham to church... There would have maybe been no Billy Graham crusade. Jody, Pastor Jody was saved at a Billy Graham crusade, actually. How many of you actually have been to Billy Graham crusades in your life? Yeah, most everybody. That's a big impact. Just, and you, you can say Albert, he's, he's probably one of the most humble guys you'll, you'll meet, but man, it was, that's awesome. He just invited somebody to church, and look what the, look what the guy did through through that very action. And now we all can't be, you know, Billy Grahams, but we can all be Alberts, <laughs> right? I really hope that some of you are Billy Grahams. I'd love to see, you know, your impact reach to over 200 million people. But we can all be Alberts who invite people because we don't know what God's going to do, right? And we have a similar um, story today um, with Andrew, and we're going to explore that. 
So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to um, John chapter 1, verses, th- verses 40 through 42. That's going to be our uh, key verses today, or one of our key verses today. And so I will read that with you. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we, uh, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I just pray that you fill this room with your spirit. Lord, that you open our hearts, open our eyes to what you have to say to us. That we won't leave this room unchanged, that we will in some way understand you deeper and be able to apply what you're telling us today. That we will be able to to tell people of your glory, to tell people who you are, to tell people of your majesty and grace and what you've done in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for this body that you have assembled. It is you who builds your church. And I thank you for every soul that's in this room and the ones that couldn't be with us today, Lord. Bless them and and keep them, Lord, in in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Again, Andrew who? So everyone's heard of Peter. You could ask anybody, even someone who doesn't understand the Bible, they probably have a concept of St. Peter or Peter. But you say Andrew, they just think Drew, Andy, right? There's probably not a big concept of who this Andrew person is. Again, we can't all be Billy Grahams and we can't all be Peters. But we can be Andrews and Alberts, right? A lot of you have been probably Alberts and and, and, uh, and Andrews before in your past. So let's examine this passage a little bit and see what Andrew did as far as as fine tail bring and focusing on the tail. So the first part I want to focus on is Andrew first heard the message. Hey, we can't go tell people without first hearing the message. Pretty simple, right? But a lot of us, we like to hear the message, but what do we do with the message? We like to get fed, but we don't like to pour out. So let's look at that. One of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So first thing, Andrew heard what John was saying. And we're going to look at what, the, what John was saying in a minute. But husbands, I, I want to address you real quick. Have you ever been in an argument with your wife? Never. Never. Wow. You guys are good. Kids are laughing. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> So what happens, husbands, when, when, when your wife is kind of had it in the argument? This is what Amy does. She whispers. Her tone goes really quiet. You, you know, this is, my, this is my idea why they do this. To make you listen. I think, I think we're, because men, we're kind of just... I'm just. I'm not even gonna. I don't even know what to say. I'm just gonna start saying stuff, and I'm just gonna say it louder and louder because I didn't really think about anything to say before I came to you and made this argument. But the, the woman is a lot smarter than us, and she says, "Well, I'm going 
Right? Have you noticed that? Am I the only one? Okay, I might be the only one. <laughs> Sometimes the simplest messages we hear are the most profound. Isn't that true? <clears throat> that just something like a whisper can even be so impactful. Because I, so it sticks with me, obviously. I'm telling you about it. But look, we're going to look at, in John 1, 35 through 37, there's a simple message that Andrew hears that makes an impact on him that he has to tell people. So look at that. So John 1, 35 through 37. It reads, this is you know prior to our key verse, obviously, but it's leading up to it. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. So John is preaching to the masses at this point. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed him. Wow, can you imagine what he says? I had to say three words. I guess it's more than three words. Look, the Lamb of God. <laughs> Lamb of God is kind of what I was thinking. But look, the Lamb of God. And people are like, oh, wow. Follow him. Boy, evangelism could be really easy if it was that case, right? But what is, what is he saying here with the look, the Lamb of God? What is the profoundness of this message, this, this simple, what seems simple message? Now, you have to remember, Andrew is a good little Jewish boy. He understands Isaiah. He understands the, the prophets and, and who this Messiah is coming. I mean, you look at the, the Jewish heritage, they're always waiting, looking for this Messiah. When's this going to come? This Christ, who is this? Keeping eyes on everything. I mean, you look at our world today, we're waiting for the end times. The Jews are waiting for that Messiah. So they're looking at everything going, well, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. So John says, you can imagine Jesus kind of like walking by and, and John just points at him and look, the Lamb of God. You know, everyone's looking at John. He says, no, 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 no. Look over here. Look at this guy. That's the Lamb of God. And, and what he's saying there is, if you look at the, the Old Testament, there was always this sacrificial lamb. Ever heard of a scapegoat? That's biblical. It would basically every every year they put all the sins onto a goat and they would boot it out of the, the, the company of Israel. And it was the scapegoat. It had all the sins of Israel. So it would get scapegoated. It would get exercised out. And they also had a number of sacrifices. And so when when John is yelling out, look at the Lamb of God, he's saying, Look, this is the Lamb of God that's going to take all of our sins. In verse 29, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so that, that's a good message when you think about it. You know, for a Jewish person like Andrew, he was raised with this concept of sacrificial lambs. He, you know, he, he knew that he drew the line of, oh, like there's a connection here. And then Isaiah, I like to think Isaiah 53, 10 and 12 was probably going through his head at this point. Verses 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an, an offering for sin. And he continues. Isaiah 53, 54 is, is packed with messianic prophecy. I highly recommend you read this, but I'm taking just parts of it. So he's saying, oh man, there's this, there's this lamb that's going to come, this, this sacrificial lamb. He's going to get crushed. The Lord's actually going to crush him. He's going to cause him to suffer. And he's going to be an offering for sin. In verse 12 we see... For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He's like, oh man, this, this lamb is going to bear all my sins and he's going to make it so that I don't have to carry that burden anymore. That I don't have to carry that sin. That sin's just going to 
glide off of me at this point. That's a good message. So Andrew heard the message of who Jesus was and is, and he followed him. When we say followed, we also say believed him. You don't follow something you don't really believe. So what he did is he heard that message, and it was multiple times that John gave this message. Just like me, when I, when I first came to Christ, I had to hear it multiple times before it actually happened. I think at that Billy Graham crusade, it was a three-night thing. I remember the first night hearing it, the second night really feeling like I need to get up and, and go, go to the front as they did in these crusades. You know, they brought everyone to the front of the, the stage and people prayed with you. I think it was the third night, the last night, when I was finally like had enough courage to actually go. And so Andrew had a very similar thing where he probably heard it, he heard it, and then he saw it and he believed it. So first we have to carry a message, and it can be a simple message. Just, who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is he? He's the last sin offering. He was crushed for our iniquities, Isaiah 53 again, punished for our transgressions, bore the sin of and interceded on our behalf. He's the judge, and he's the intercession. It's good that the intercessionary has is the judge as well, that helps. He's the Messiah, the Christ. Christ is the Greek, the Messiah is the Hebrew. They were looking for him. Everyone was looking for him. And then they saw him. So now he has this message. Andrew now understands, oh, I'm following him, believe him. He actually spent the day with him, speaking with him. Got to know him. Which probably was, I would have loved him part of that conversation. You know, Jesus, looking at what he does with these, with these original apostles, he... He speaks directly into their lives. He tells them who they are. A lot of times the simple message. These guys were just ready. So let's look what he did. After he has this message, after he knows who God is, what does he do? And this is where we get to kind of the meat. Secondly, Andrew told somebody about Jesus. So he didn't just go home and sleep on it. He didn't, you know, think, well, maybe it's Theologically, I gotta think about how this. I gotta examine Isaiah 53 and 54, make sure it all lines up with everything he's saying. No, he he's excited about this. He's excited that he's like, wow, that is the Lamb of God. I got I gotta tell somebody about this. This is exciting. I just met the Messiah face to face, eye to eye. It says, the first thing. Can you guys say with me? The first thing. The first thing. Andrew did was to find, say find, find, his brother Simon and tell him, say tell him, we have found the Messiah. You don't have to repeat that part. <laughs> the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So the very first thing he did was he found his brother, Simon. And he said, Simon, you're not going to believe this. I found the Messiah. We found him. He's here. The Lamb of God. We found him. And they brought him to Jesus. Before, I mean, I'm still pretty bad at this, but I am, I used to be really bad at keeping secrets. Pastoring has kind of made me better at this because people tell me stuff that I probably shouldn't tell other people. (laughs) But before, I mean, I remember in high school, like multiple times thinking, like, thinking I was helping somebody out. Like I had a really good buddy be like, oh man, that, that girl, she's super cute. I really like her. Like, oh, I'm gonna go tell her. You know, <laughs> thinking I'm gonna help you out, bro. 
You know, and so I would I wouldn't tell her directly. I'd tell like somebody who would tell somebody who would probably tell somebody. You know, I was too scared to tell her myself. <laughs> Thinking, man, I'm doing a good thing. I'm really helping you out. Of course, I, I got threatened to get beat up multiple times because of that. <laughs> Apparently, it wasn't helping out. But so I used to tell people like, never give me a secret because I can't keep it. When I found out Luke was coming, I was literally like. We can't tell my mom. I'm like today, can I tell her today? Can I tell her tomorrow? Can I tell you? I got to work on Monday, and I told my whole like company. He's <laughs> like, you know, it's like eight weeks along, and I'm like, everybody, look at this baby! <laughs> I can't. I remember Amy's like freaking out because we haven't told her family yet. And, you know, she doesn't want to. It's like you know, social media is gonna blow up somehow, and her mom's gonna find out. And I, I, I'm really bad at keeping secrets unless I absolutely have to. Just let you guys know that. But Romans 10, uh, 14 through 15 reads, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Yeah, and so... This is, my, this is my defense for why I can't keep a secret, because I'm like, well, God kind of transformed me into not keeping secrets. I like to bring good news. I, even though it sometimes isn't always good news, I think it's good news. So how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, and can anyone hear without someone preaching to them? We're all called to preach. This isn't talking to preachers. This is calling to believers. Say, how can somebody believe if you don't start speaking with your mouth? They must hear you. I don't care. You can't speak. You learn sign language and you do it that way. So we have a message, just as Andrew did, the same exact message, but we cannot keep it to ourselves. It's impossible. And there's the whole, you know, I I get this a lot. There's the whole, um, well, I'm just going to show with my life. You hear that? I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna love, and I'm, I'm just gonna show my neighbors I love them by not ever speaking to them about Jesus, but just showing them. I get it. There's a part of that, but there's a part of that too. You have to say something. You have to speak up. You have to say, I know you're going through a hard time right now, Mr. Neighbor, but I know what you're feeling, and I know what can get you through it, because it got me through it. His name is Jesus. Do you have a relationship with him? I know him. He's the Messiah. He's the one promised in Isaiah 53, 54 in the Old Testament. I know him. He's my friend. He's my Lord. Here, come meet him at church. Meet him right here. I don't care. We'll meet. He's everywhere. (laughs) So the first thing Andrew did was he told someone he loved about the news. He didn't just tell a random person. He said, oh, Simon's got to hear this. My brother, he's got to hear this message. And you can, ex- you can imagine the excitement on Andrew's face when he, I mean, you spent your whole day with Jesus. You're excited. I, I mean, if he had a phone back, then he'd probably be texting Simon like, not going to believe what's happening right now. WTF, man. <laughs> right? LOL, ha <laughs> JK, no. So he, he comes and meets the Lamb of God, the one thing the prophets told us about. He's like, wow, our parents told us about this, Simon. A rabbi told us about this. All the prophets told us about this. And we got to meet him. I'm excited. Woo! 
he has a great message and he goes and tells somebody he loves about it. I mean, there's excitement in bringing good news. And I think sometimes we think it's bad news. I think we're scared because, well, you know, people might get, you know, upset because, you know, people don't like Jesus in, in our culture anymore. You know, we, we have to bring good news. And we think we try to make it bad news in our own minds, right? It's not bad news. It's great news. Life giving news. Remember, there's ex- there, we do bring good news, and we should pour out upon that. Pour out on people this good news. I mean, I'm guilty of this. I remember, and I don't really fully understand it why, but it's when you approach somebody about Jesus, it's scary. And I understand, like, anytime, other, anytime else in my life, I can think, man, I'm bringing good news. I'm so excited. I can't wait to call people. I mean, I'm a recruiter, so when people, somebody gets a good job or gets the job, I, let me call them right now. Hey, man, you got the job. That's it great. Bad news, I'm like, well, I'm going to wait till 4.45 to make that call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't answer, shoot an email. Whoop. No, I mean, bad news, I don't like giving, but good news is fun. And sometimes I'm like, why, why am I so afraid of sharing this message? Why is, why is that scary? Because it's good news. I think sometimes we can make it bad news in our heart because we analyze too much. Paralysis by analysis is what I call it. Because you sit there and think all of the what ifs. What if this? What if that? What if? And we think all these bad what ifs, but we never really think about what if he says yes or she says yes. That's a big what if. That's a cool what if. What if I invite this person to church and they come and they get saved? What a relationship you built, right? What if I invite this person to church, they get saved, and they invite 200 people, and they'll get saved? Wow. What about that what if? Instead of, well, what if they reject me? What if they won't be my friend anymore? I think the what ifs on the, on the pro side are outweigh the, the what ifs on the cons. Another example of this, one of my favorites, is in John 4, the woman at the well. So I'm going to read parts of this. I'm going to start in verses 25 through 26. And this is after Jesus had just shared everything about himself without her really knowing that it's him. So here he is pouring about everything that's going to happen and everything that's happening and everything that has happened about the Messiah. And this is her response. The woman says, Oh, oh, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And I love that because we see that today. We said a lot today. Well, you know, Jesus, when he comes, he'll clear up everything else. Everything will get cleared up. Everything, you know, you hear this a lot. I hear it a lot, actually, when I speak to to a lot of LDS people. They say, oh, well, everything in the end will get worked out. You ever hear that when you share with neighbors and friends? But I see that and I go, he already did. He said said it 2,000 years ago. I am the Messiah. I am the one speaking to you. I am he through his word. Everything he said has already been said. And then the disciples come and they, they view some things and... Verses 28 through 30 says, Then leaving her water jar, this is exactly right after he says this, 
Then leaving her water jar, the woman come back, went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So what did the woman at the well do? So here she was. She had a face-to-face with Jesus. She met him. She, she, he spoke into her life, same as he, he did with the, the apostles. And she goes and gathers the whole town and says, you have to meet this guy. Jesus was very approachable. You notice that? Kids love Jesus. I mean, he wasn't weird. He wasn't creepy. People wanted to come to him. They wanted to be with him. They wanted. They were drawn to him. But she invited the entire town, come and see this. And then later it says that many Samaritan people were saved. Because one woman went into the town after she had met Jesus and said, come, you got to meet this guy. And I love how Jesus approached that because there's a way that we can take this and turn it into how we approach people today. Because Jesus, he didn't say, he didn't focus on the issue per se. He didn't go, well, you know that having multiple husbands is a sin, right? You need to repent, lady. Right? He didn't say that. He says, I know this is true about you. I know you struggle with this. And she, oh, yeah, you're right, I do. And he says, but there's going to be a time when youth will thirst no more. And the water that I give is living water. Whoa, tell me more about that. I'm like that. Right? He, he focuses on this relationship with her. He builds this relationship through her, with her. And he goes, I understand. That's what we do in relationships. We, we approach somebody and we, we talk about why they, what their struggles are. How they understand each other better. And then the relationship grows. I think that's one thing we can do when we're telling people about is you know, don't focus so much on an issue. Because you start working on issues, diversity, it can, it can really cut people. But when you talk about relationship, it draws people. Does that make sense? Sometimes as a body, and I think as, as humans, we focus too much on the issue and we, we just throw the relationship out the door. So the Maritime woman brought her whole town because God spoke to her and he spoke into her life. So beautiful, and then again, beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Everyone look at your foot and say, ah, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful are the feet that bring good news. You know, once you have a run-in with Christ and believe, we should be exclaiming the truth to everyone we know. Because you're, you're bringing good news. You're beautiful are your feet. You know, we just need to say, come, come, guys you got to hear about this Jesus. This Jesus is something special. You know all that anxiety, that stress, that worry in your life? He can take that. Take it. And he can provide. And it's the whole I was blind, but now I see type of thing where it says, you know, before, you know, I was addicted to blank, and now I'm not. Before I couldn't do blank, and now I'm not. Now I can. Before I believed this, but now I believe in the truth. What we see is now I'm changed. You can't run in with you can't have a run in with Christ and not be changed in some way. It's impossible. When you've met the real Christ and you see him work in your life, you can't help but just kind of stand back and go, Whoa, that just happened? 
Did I just put my faith in someone I've never seen with my eyes, but I prayed to, and he came through? I still, to this day, I know I say this a lot, but to this day, I still can't believe I can pray to the God that created everything that's ever existed, and he's like, okay, I'll do that. Wow. That blows my mind still. And then I can have that kind of relationship. And those kind of things, they change you forever. I mean, eight years old, 20 years ago, I came to Christ. And I remember it just as vivid today as I do remember what I had for breakfast. I mean, I don't remember anything else when I was eight, but I remember that. I had a run-in with Christ at eight years old, and I can never forget it. It changed me. It transformed me. Even from that day, from 20 years to today, it led me to this point. You can't leave God without being unchanged. And that's the news that we tell. So let's look at how Peter got changed a little bit. So my third point, because of Andrew, Peter gets a new identity. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. How cool would that be if Jesus says, You know what? You're my rock. My rock boy. I got, Jesus gave me this name, Rock. That's what Cephas means, Rock. That's cool. I mean, Jesus was cool. I'm like, two thousand years ago, he was cool. Before cool was even cool. Again, it's impossible to ever run in with Christ without being changed. You know, people can reject him, or people can accept him. One of the two. I was just speaking with a, a good college friend of mine um, a couple of the, couple couple days ago. And she has gotten out of, of Mormonism, and she was the Mormon of Mormons, is what I like to say, like Hebrews of Hebrews, but she was the Mormon of Mormons. And she had gotten out, which was amen, right? But now she's in this strange agnostic atheist type phase, right, which unfortunately a lot of them go through. And she came in atheist, and she left me an agnostic, but I, I told her this, I said, and, you know, she, she tries to throw a lot of the Old Testament brutality and everything, things that they try to do. Um, but I said, really, it comes down to this. Did Jesus exist, die, and raise from the dead? She's like, well, Jesus existed. I do believe that. It's okay. Did he die? Yeah, I mean, yeah, everyone died. He died. Okay, so he died. Did he raise from the dead? Well, that I don't know. Well, why not? Well, where's his body? Exactly, where's his body? Well, someone must have moved it. Okay, so 12 really cowardly disciples who were too afraid to even be there at his judgment took down a bunch of armed Roman soldiers and, and moved this giant boulder. Well, it could happen. Okay, unlikely. What about the 500 people who saw him afterwards? After he had supposedly died. And we know he's dead. I mean, we, we know for a fact that he died. We have there's evidence in the Bible showing, like, yeah, he died. Historically, he died. Archaeologically, he died. But people saw him afterwards. Like, well, she's like, yeah. But it was written by the book, by just by the same author. Well, no, we actually have four different authors, the author, authors that say that. Yeah. She still rejected him, but all of those seeds are planted. But people can reject him or accept him. And people will always wonder about him. You notice that? Jesus is always on, on people's minds. 
Sometimes they have a negative connotation, a religious connotation, but people want to know him. They want to know who he is. It's curious to people. So people can reject him, accept him, but they always wonder about him. And that's why I love Utah, because he's on everyone's mind. And it's an easy conversation to have with people. So his life and word change us because of what he is and who he is. And he gives us a new identity. Oh, I'm so grateful he gives us a new identity. Man, I'm glad that the old Kelly is no longer there because I was a prodigal. I got saved at 8, left at probably 18, came back around 23. There was a little gap there where I was just like, you're not there. You know, forget you. I'll do this myself. Oof, those are brutal. Brutal years. God said, okay, I'm there, but try it. And he did the same thing. He changed the Galilean fisherman with a hot temper into a world changer. And you, I love studying Peter because studying Peter, I see a lot of myself because you see the, the concept of he, he, was, he kind of didn't have a temper, right? I mean, he pulled a sword on a couple of people. He, he was kind of angry. He was kind of a, a coward in a lot of ways, which I don't blame. I've probably done the same thing in his boat. I mean, honestly, but being real with you. Kind of scary. All because someone told him to come to Jesus. He says, you know what? This is this is the old Peter. This is Simon. This is old Simon the Galilean. Simon the fisherman who just wants to be a fisherman, nothing else. I'm going to make you Cephas, Peter, the rock. Man, and what an impact Peter made. People know who Christ is because Peter was made an impactor. So we live in a culture and a time when people need new identities. Have you, seen, have you noticed that? People are so stuck. And this is friends, neighbors. This isn't just us. This is everybody. Human beings, they want new identities. How many times do you see like in those self-help books, oh, create yourself a new identity. Start afresh. We do it every year, right? We're coming up to the new year. People always have these new things they're trying to do. I'm going to make myself new in January 1st, just it's going to happen. And two weeks later, it's not going to happen. Right? But God says, no, I'm going to give you a new identity, to the, and I'm going to transform you from the inside. I'm going to change your desires. I'm going to change your passions. I'm going to change the things that you want to see the, things, the same things that I want. That's transformation. It's not white knuckle. I'm just going to, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to wake up earlier. That happens like a week for me and then it's done. Like I can't do it. So the world has said to people, you know what? You're not good enough. You have to keep doing more. Or you're not smart enough. You have to go get schooling more or you'll never be able to be successful. You're never going to add up. Unfortunately, you're not worth anything. These are all things that I've been told. But God says one thing. He says, no, no. Because of what I did, and because of your belief and faith, you are my son, or you are my daughter. You belong to me. I love it that, that God, Christ, can look over the entire existence, and he can just be like, mine, 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 mine. 
He's like, I'm sovereign. That's mine. That's mine. You're mine. He's mine. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's another part of the message we bring. Right? We have a lot of people who need to hear that message, who need to know who Jesus is. And we have, and it can be so simple as saying, hey, you know what? You know, come church with me. Come to this Christmas, Christmas concert with me. It's fun. We have a lot of fun here. I have fun here. I love hanging out with you guys. I love getting prayer for. I love fellowshipping. I love just being around you guys. Because you are the body of Christ. And we bring people into that. We tell people about this message. And we find them. We pray for them. We say, God, bring people into our life who you want to speak into. That's what we did last week. And this week, we're telling people about it. We're saying, man, come hear about this, this Jesus. You have to know this Messiah. The one that was prophesied over 5,000 years ago. He's, he came. He's here now. Come learn about him. Come meet him. You know, we don't hide the message from people. You find them and bring them to meet Jesus so that they can be transformed. But the Lamb of God can take all of that past, everything that has happened and will happen in their life, he'll take it. And we go to the cross. It's done. It's over. People need that message because pasts haunt everyone. Everyone's haunted by a past. Everyone has a past that they're shameful of, guilty of, afraid to, to confront. God says, that is no more. You are going to be a new creation. A new identity has been given to you. Not one the world gives, but the one I give. Who, who wants to go tell somebody this message? Yes, good. Let's pray. Father, we... We think, we're just so thankful for who you are. That you are the Lamb of God that bore all of our sins. Everything we have done or will do, you've taken. You've sacrificed, you've killed. That the sins that of this world can just slide right off of us and nothing sticks. Because we are in you a new creation. That your righteousness sticks to us, not by anything we've done, but purely by who you are and what you've done. Lord, help us to, to be more bold in telling people about this message, that we have a message of good news, that we bear the message of the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away all sin. He sent us you sent us to proclaim this message to our loved ones, to our neighbors, to people who so desperately need a new identity, who desperately need you. And they don't even know it yet. 
They just know there's a hole in their life and they try to fill it with things that are not of you. And it keeps collapsing. But you're the only thing that that holds firm. Lord, I thank you for this message. That it could have been it could have been a terrible message. We could have gone, your message could have been that we go spread fear. But no, you are a good God who brings life and joy and comfort and healing, a future and a hope. Life itself comes from you. Lord, I pray you bless this group. And we will go into our communities and tell of this truth. I won't be afraid to, to speak up. They will be bold in proclaiming who you are. Thank you again, Lord, for, for these people and what you have planned to do through this body. And I pray for the thousands that will one day hear this message and come to you. In your glorious name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week with the final part. And uh, have a great rest of your, your day.